Hello there. Greetings. We're so glad that you've joined us. We're glad for your interest in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. As disciples, we're trying to follow Jesus Christ. The whole idea of being disciples who make disciples comes out of that idea in Matthew 28:19, when Jesus commands Christians to go and make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so we need to do all that Jesus has commanded us. That's how we can follow Jesus the way Jesus would have us follow him. This is also reinforced in 1 John chapter 2, 3 through 5, where we're told that we have come to know him if we keep the commandments. We see this emphasized as well in Romans 6, 17 and 1 Peter 1, 22. So we need to follow God's commandments, well and good. But the question will come up very often, how? How are we supposed to follow those commands? Now, there's lots of commands that God has given in Jesus that we understand are timeless. They work equally well at any period in time or remain challenging at any period in time. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do good to all men. Seek to stir up one our love and good works. Assemble with each other and so on and so forth. But we need to recognize that we are 20 centuries separated, almost, from the time of the events taking place in the New Testament. Now, we can confess that the Bible and its examples have a lot of power. And they, such people seek to learn not just about the commands of God from Scripture, but also to use the examples of Scriptures as patterns for our own lives. But there are many out there also who think biblical examples are almost entirely relevant, relics of an earlier age. And after all, we don't live under the Roman Empire anymore. We don't speak Koine Greek, don't wear togas. We don't really have patron-client relationships, per se, or have slaves or are slaves, per se. You know, a lot of us may be employees, and so on and so forth. We've got a lot of technologies we developed. After all, we're communicating here through uh, a medium online or in streaming in a way that was completely unknown at the time. And and uh, we've plumbed greater depths of understanding in so many aspects of life. And so a lot of people claim that we can clearly and surely be able to establish better ways of accomplishing God's purposes than perhaps in the past. And that's the logic used by a lot of people in the religious world. But is that the way we should see things according to the scripture? Let's consider what God has to say about these things. Now, we need to recognize, first and foremost, that when it comes to a lot of the th ways in which we attempt to fulfill what God has commanded us in Christ, we need to use what Jesus says in John chapter 7 and verse 24 as judge with right judgment, to have some level of discernment. We need to be conditioned by the Bible and its principles to proceed, to test the Spirit, so to speak, to see which are true or false in 1 John 4 and in verse 1. There's a lot of things out there in the way that we accomplish them are liberties. And there's a lot of examples in Scripture that are in incidental to the first century. For instance, the fact the whole Bible is written in Koine Greek. The fact that uh, the people in the time wore togas. Uh, we can consider a whole section, like uh, Romans chapter 16, for instance, where Paul enumerates many greetings. We can try really hard, but we're not going to be able to greet Prisca and Aquila. We're not going to be able to greet beloved Epinetus. We're not going to be able to greet Andronicus and Junia. They're no more. And 
you know, we can understand these things. We can perceive these things because there are some inconsistencies in examples. We see sometimes that Christians will accomplish something in many different ways in the New Testament period. Um, or we can see that there's no direct commands about some things, but there's a larger principle involved that we need to abide by and to observe. But should we then suggest, well, it's all up in the air, that we have liberty in every aspect of the fulfillment of God's commands? Can we just decide, okay, as long as God commanded it, we can then do it any way that we choose or we please? Well, we do well to recognize our limitations. Jeremiah cried out and said it best in Jeremiah 10.23, O Yahweh, it is not within a man to direct his own steps. The proverb author in chapter 3 and in chapter 14 warn us about relying on our own understanding. But we should trust Yahweh in his ways, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. And as the heavens are higher than the earth, Isaiah exclaims in Isaiah 55, 8, 9. So Yahweh's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts than our thoughts. It's very comfortable for us to take over and to do things as they seem right to us. But God has said that is a way of destruction often. And God maybe understands some things better than we do. And maybe the way that seems right to us is really more conditioned by our environment. The culture and society in which we live and its influences more than our faith. We might have the best of intentions, but we may not consider some unforeseen consequences. And so if we understand our own limitations, how the way we think is right is often not very right, and that God understands better than we do, and we want to be humble servants of God, then to whom are we going to turn to understand how we should accomplish God's commands? Well, in that case, we should look to God and to what he says. And not for nothing did Paul tell Timothy the following in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and from how chi from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So we should look towards Scripture, which will equip us for every good work. What does God have to say to us? Does he put forth the idea that we always have liberty in terms of filling his commands? Well, when we look at that message of Scripture, it's unequivocally clear. There's a lot of power in example. We can look at the first and foremost, the example of Jesus. In First John 2 and verse 6, a theme that is also embodied in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, that we ought to walk even as he walked. That We need to follow in the ways of Jesus. In John 13, Jesus went through uh, the experience of washing his, disi his disciples' feet, and he turns around and what he tell them? That he's given them an example that they should do as he has done. And the reason for all this, in Hebrews 1 and verse 3, we're told that Jesus is the express character of God. That in Jesus, uh, as Jesus himself would say in John 14, 6 through 12, we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. That is how he is the way, the truth, and the life. He presents us a God in, in almost every respect that we can imagine. And so it is in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Peter uh, encourages us to uh, consider Jesus and to recognize 
in verse 21 that we've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. We need to follow in the example of Jesus. So Jesus is the ultimate example and pattern for the believer. He is the perfect model. And beyond even Jesus, the Bible is full of examples, and believers are encouraged to consider them as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians who generally have problems, and, and the problems the Corinthians have are legion. They're concerned about idolatry and participating in sensual behavior. So what does he do? He wants them to know about what happened to Israel in the wilderness. He Christianizes, in many ways, what happened to Israel in the wilderness. He speaks of how all their fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual morality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So Paul is trying to encourage the Corinthians on a certain path of behavior by appealing to the example of Israel as a illustration of what not to do. And in fact, we see plenty of other times. In Hebrews 11, we have the cloud of witnesses that demonstrates to believers a power of obedient faith and that we're to draw strength from their examples. In fact, the New Testament is full of references to the situations in the Old Testament that are used to illustrate God's truth in the New Covenant. An appeal to Abraham in Romans 4. The idea of Christians as the remnant in Romans 11. Galatians 3 and 4, saturated with appeals to the Old Testament. Hebrews 7 through 9, the whole idea of the high priest of the oil Melchizedek, and so on and so forth. The book of Revelation is saturated with it. You can't understand Revelation unless you understand the examples of the Old Testament. And what John is really doing there is he's seeing uh, all these things which are about to take place to the people of God, and they're seen in terms of what the people of God in the past have already experienced. That the examples seem to be cyclical, that you can learn from what has happened in the past. And so the Old Testament and Jesus provide plenty of examples for the believer. And if we can get so much out of the Old Testament, how much more can we get out of what is revealed in the New Testament? But let's think about the power of example. Why is it that God would teach us by example as well as by command? Well, humans often learn to do by seeing others doing and by imitating. Small children play house, play church, play life by virtue of what's seeing what the big people do. How many times have we learned something or learned a better way to accomplish something by considering the examples of others? With so many things and especially involved practice, it's much easier to watch somebody else do it and then imitate them than it is to just receive a bunch of abstract commands and concepts and try to work it out and do it without that kind of instruction. A demonstration is a very powerful part of the instruction process. And how many of us have required job training? 
And what really is job training but learning by example or guidance based on the experience of doing something? And that's the way it is in Christianity. God provided us with the ultimate example in Jesus. And Jesus himself entrusted his authority to his chosen twelve to set forth his will when he ascended. Matthew 18, 18 and other passages. And what's very important is that the apostles also did not merely teach by word, but also by example. In 1 Corinthians 11, in verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, and he goes in great depth about this with the Thessalonians, in the Second Thessalonians, chapter 3. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 6, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. For even we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So here we see that Paul said, hey, look, you saw what we did. You saw how we lived among you. Follow that example. And so thus we have examples to follow. And that's very important. We need to follow examples. We need to take the examples given to us in Scripture seriously. And let's consider some examples of how this works out in modern practice. So, for instance, we see examples throughout the New Testament of individual congregations being shepherded by a plurality of men. Paul hastened to establish elders in the churches of Galatia in Acts 14.23. In Acts 20.20-35, 20, he spoke with the elders of Ephes the church in Ephesus. See this in Philippians 1 and verse 1 as well. These men were expected to demonstrate their fitness for the role by uh, main, maintaining uh, exacting qualifications that we can see in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And they were to be examples to the believers themselves in 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, one of the first things to get jettisoned in the second century uh, is that idea of um, multiple elders in one congregation. They would install bishop over the elders and so on and so forth. And that led to the whole hierarchical system that you can see in Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism to this day. Uh, so in the Anglican Church and other places like that. Uh, in the revolt against that, a lot of congregations went to a congregational way where it's just the congregation has control or the pa they give it to a pastor and so on and so forth. Uh, what happens in those congregations? Well, congregations with one leader or no leadership do not have the direction or the example to which to aspire and suffer for it. How many religious organizations have been led astray when one ruler over the congregation, over multiple congregations, uh, happens to go astray on something and leads everyone along with him? What happens when men who do not have qualifications are given responsibility uh, in the congregations, they prove unfit for the task to the detriment of all. Uh, when you see all kinds of situations, in the end you recognize God's wisdom is best. That the church is best when individual congregations are served by a plurality of qualified men serving as elders. And we can see that based upon the New Testament examples. And if we just throw them aside, it is to our own harm. Another example would be benevolence. God expected his people to be very benevolent. They're supposed to, to give to one another and to those uh, who are without. In Galatians 2.10 and 6.10, James 1, verse 27. 
The examples of the New Testament indicate, though, that churches, as local churches, were only burdened with the relief of needy saints. That individuals were to provide assistance themselves to their families, to uh, believers, and to those without. We see in Acts 11, 27-30, uh, Paul's long instruction in 1 Timothy 5, 3-16 about widows, Galatians 6, 10, James 1, 27, and other passages. Uh, so many do not heed these things in this way anymore. Um, as a result, not a few quote-unquote Christian denominations have all but abandoned spiritual priorities because they have spent so much time involved in benevolent work and, and mission work in terms of uh, trying to accomplish social justice that they have uh, neglected the gospel message. A lot of times people will have their material needs addressed at some level, but not the spiritual. Organizations and institutions just aren't individuals. It's not the same as when an individual goes out of his way to assist somebody else. A lot of times, the things that people need aren't just material benefits, but they need somebody to invest in them and to care for them and to show them uh, the way forward, which can only happen in terms of relationship, not through impersonal exchange in an industrial evolution efficiency-based system. And these are just two of many examples we could provide when things get lost when you depart from what God has said to do in the way God has said to do it. People will try to improve on the way God has specified as will be done, quote-unquote improvement, believing that what is revealed is outmoded and that modern methods are superior, or if nothing else, they're more efficient or expedient. But, intentionally or unintentionally, that we're missing out on those things God wants us to, to do. There's aspects that may get missed, and there are unintended consequences that we might not have thought of until uh, we see what happens when we've gone in our own directions. And that's why we need to understand and recognize the power of example in Scripture. So yes, we must follow God's commandments. And how do we follow those commandments? Well, we need to search the Scriptures and to see if we can find examples that relate to what we're trying to accomplish. And whenever those examples are found, we should strive to do what God intends, uh, how God intends it to be done, by following a positive example or by avoiding a negative examples to allow examples to direct our decision process. In matters where specific direct examples may be lacking, we need to ground whatever we seek to do on the basis of biblical command and example. And only when we've exhausted all such things should we feel comfortable proclaiming a liberty that we can accomplish however we may see fit, but even still to make sure we're abiding the will of God, to submit to God humbly in all things, and to not use that freedom as a cover-up for evil, 1 Peter 2.16. And that's how we can respect the power of example in Scripture and the power of example in our lives. And so we do well to seek to follow God, to accomplish His commands in the way He wants us to do it, to always look to Jesus' His Son as an example and pattern in life, to understand how we are to live and how we are to move forward. We're again so thankful that you've joined us and we hope that you've been benefited by this. If you have, we encourage you to share it and let others know about it. If you'd like to consider more that we have to uh, say about other subjects, uh, maybe you'd like to have a Bible study or, or take a correspondence course, maybe you'd like to meet with us if you're in the area, please find us online at VenetiaChristChrist.org. We're also on social media. If I can be of any service personally, you can contact me through my website at deverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. We again thank you. Have a great day.